Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast, where we take a look at some of the biggest fashion news stories of the week. I'm your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. How are you feeling? Hey, Danny. I'm good. Ready to talk it out. Yes, me too. Me too. And there's a lot to talk about this week. We're going to start off talking about the death of the legendary Vogue editor, Andre Leon Talley. We'll also talk about LVMH investing in Teddy Santis's Ame Leon Dor. And finally, Bally getting a new creative director in Ruigi Villasenor. A lot of rhyming and a lot of similar uh, initials in these <laughs> these three companies. <laughs> but to start, let's let's talk about Andre Leon Talley. Um, for those of you who don't know, he's been sort of a big personality in fashion for many years. Um, he died very sadly uh, on Wednesday, I believe, at the age of 73. We'll talk about his influence in a second, but just the thing that struck me reading some of his obituaries is an incredible resume. Um, He was editor-at-large for Vogue. He was Paris bureau chief for Women's Wear Daily. He was artistic director for Zappos, which I did not know, and was a judge on America's Next Top Model. Jill, did you ever watch Next Top Model? I did. I mean, and yeah, he was a star of the show. He is just so freaking iconic. I swear to God. Anyway. And the way that the fashion industry blew up last night, we're, we're recording on Wednesday. This was late at night. I mean, it just shows that he is how beloved he is, obviously pioneering, obviously like anyway, the fact that he he wasn't he didn't conform. He's so passionate mm-hmm. and loud and <laughs> this lover of fashion in the most genuine way. Um, he is just just so cool. And, and how how far he got like to become a leader in fashion without really conforming to its ways and being the only black man in the room is what is consistently um, referenced in these, um, I guess, obituaries or, or memoriams, memorials. Yeah. 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 No, he's one of those, um, those classic, like big fashion personalities, you know, who just feels that they just have this iconic look, which I think for me, was always like the humongous cape, but also they're just there all the time and they always have an, uh, an opinion and they're always, you know, around, um, you know, all the big, big moments in fashion. Um, he, he was definitely groundbreaking. Like you said, the New York Times obituary or memorial references him casting Naomi Campbell in a uh, reimagining of Gone with the Wind for Vanity Fair, but with black models. Um, a lot of cool stuff like that. And sadly, I think there is still a dearth of black fashion editors at the highest levels uh, in media. Um, I was trying to think of some other ones earlier. There's um, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner from Teen Vogue, for instance, who's great and super talented. But I think even after many decades, it's still quite rare. Yeah. Edward Enenfall with Vogue Vogue UK. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, did, was Vogue UK the one who did that cover just the other day with, uh, with all black models and that sort of like turquoise contrast. I thought that one was beautiful. Agree. Andre Leontali definitely plays into this story that we're going to be telling throughout this episode in terms of this creative who had his hands in so many things, just using his talents in to the fullest, I guess, rather than just like sticking with Vogue from the 80s to like, I think it was 2013 as um, kind of various roles, eventually creative director. 
Um, but like you said, had his hands in other projects. Um, we know America's Next Top Model. We know um, he was, you know, the red carpet commentator at the Met Gala and everybody stopped and would eagerly talk to him because he always had <laughs> amazing um, things to say about about what they were wearing. I mean, he w- he could be critical. He was genuine. Um, I mean, a side note, I mentioned this to our team, which um, I mean, it just shows the kind of person that he was and why probably he's so beloved. I had an intern who who's like it was his inspiration. Um, Andre Leontelli, he dressed like him. He he had the same passion for fashion as him. And he just happened to be to be featured on the Tamron Hall show. I was originally ex- like scheduled to be on the show to talk about how proud I was of of Michael, this young designer, and um, how far he'd come. They managed to book his icon, Andre Leontelli, who I actually didn't know had been his mentor and had been in touch with this young designer from St. Louis and, and came and talked about Michael and supported him. And anyway, it was just so freaking cool. And it just was like made this kid's life. The fact that he yeah. impacted so many people. I mean, he died at a pretty young age, 73. Mm-hmm. But my, 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 <laughs> quite the resume, quite the impact. I think that the age is it's he's old enough that he had a, a long lasting impact, but definitely young enough that he probably still had more to do. So yeah, it, it's sad. I, I was a big fan. And I think you can you can see how impactful he was, like you said, by the absolute outpouring of of testimonials and and sadness, uh, you know, among everyone who knew him. But let's move on to our our second story, which um, amusingly we were just talking about. Uh, Ame Leon Doors, a streetwear brand, Andre Leon Talley, just this weird resonance of fate that these two names are like bizarro versions of each other. But anyway, it's a streetwear brand founded by Teddy Santis, who is also a creative director at New Balance for, I think, for their Made in USA line, um, founded in Queens, which is my neighborhood. So I, I love that. Um, or Borough, I should say. But Amelion Door got a investment from LVMH. And was interesting about, about this to me was that LVMH took a minority stake in the brand. And I feel like it's interesting because LVMH's strategy usually, I think, when when courting, you know, brands like this would be to either just hire Santos himself, like bring him on sort of in a, in a Virgil style, like partnership where he's still, you know, working at his own brand, but he's also, you know, directing some brand or some line for an LVMH brand or to um, just like buy the whole thing or, or something like that. And so I think the minority stake strategy is interesting, kind of lets them experiment with it a little bit without having to make like the full commitment to either hiring the the man himself or buying the whole brand. Yeah, you're right. We'll see where this relationship goes. I know that there there's um, a statement that Amay Leandor will continue to operate independently um, and they'll just receive support and guidance from LVMH. Um, LVMH Luxury Ventures had made minority investments in companies, including Stadium Goods, which is interesting. And then it sold to Farfetch um, later on in 2019. One of the companies that it took a minority stake in, um, which was a skincare and perfume brand, um, they eventually fully acquired it, which is noteworthy. We also know that Teddy Santis has recently, when was it last year, I believe, um, he was named creative director of New Balance's um, Made in USA line or um, brand. And so Label. maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe there's some sort of a, uh, I don't know, he, he that's temporary. Maybe um, I, I'm with you where I do foresee LVMH and Teddy Santis, who has this 
them more like bringing him more into the mix, embracing him more, giving him a more of a role or um, collaborating in some way. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if in a couple of years we see him as creative director of some LVMH brand. I, I think that LVMH is, it's funny because they're so, I think, hesitant to launch an entirely new brand um, like we saw with Fenty, which was like the first one they had sort of done in a while and that kind of didn't work out. Um, or to bring a, an entire brand under, you know, into make, make it an official LVMH brand part of the portfolio. And I think it's because all of those brands are so huge each and some are huger than others, but every like LVMH brand is a massive brand. I feel like their thinking might be that if it becomes like an official part of the portfolio, it's got to be huge. It's got to be a, a huge moneymaker. It's got to have a ton of investment into it. And so I don't see them like totally buying Emelian Dor but I do see them hiring Teddy himself um, yeah, in a creative director role for, for one of their many brands. Who knows which one? Yeah, he has great experience with collaborations, which everybody is really feeling at the moment um, with Clarks and some of these other brands that really play into this streetwear meets uh, preppy look that they're known for. And also, I mean, the power of this young brand, uh, not that young, but um, how the the store on Mulberry Street in, in Nolita has just become this kind of cultural hub hangout. The cafe has an attached cafe, which um, everybody's Instagramming and just feels cool that they're there. <laughs> Obviously, there's, there's a cool factor involved. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, I would say, like a, a tastemaker or a cool, what do you call it? Anyway, it, it, it's definitely, um, I guess, fueling, fueling a vibe, playing into the culture of the moment. Yeah, definitely. And I think the tastemaker status is one of the reasons LVMH is interested into it. It does have a, a good advantage over some other street-weary kind of brands uh, working with LVMH in that it already has sort of a French-sounding name. So um, it's got that going for it. If they wanted to you know, get acquired by LVMH, they would fit right in purely <laughs> from a nomenclature basis. It's seamless. Yes. So right. Yeah. I, the other thing is I was thinking about how we've talked about this several times on the episode before about, or on the podcast before about creative directors who are working at like five different brands at any given moment. And I wonder if there is sort of a limit on what a, a company specifically one of the big luxury companies will tolerate for for creative directors that they work with. Like obviously a situation like Virgil where he was doing Off-White at the same time working at Louis Vuitton, it's like they hired him because of his work at Off-White. In a second when we talk about Ruigi, it's kind of a similar thing. But at a certain point, I wonder if, you know, if you're a creative director at some LVMH brand and you have your own brand that you started and that's why you got noticed in the first place and you're doing collaborations with other brands outside of your capacity as working with LVMH, I wonder if at some point, you get an email from someone at LVMH that's like, hey, like you got to focus on LVMH stuff. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I do wonder, and I've asked a few creative directors about that, like how they balance between things for themselves and things for their side projects and things for the the big, gigantic multinational conglomerate that pays them. And and I think there's, uh, there's different answers. Um, Jeff Staple has told me that like, he told me that he doesn't really when he starts thinking of a new creative idea, he doesn't necessarily think of like which one it's going to be for until a little bit later, you know? So there, you know, whether it's going to be a, pro a side project or something he does himself or something he works with another brand on. Um, so anyway, I, I think that's an interesting thing. The more we see people working at several different brands at once, that might be something to ask some of them about is just how they balance between all the different projects. 
That's a really good point. I feel like um, maybe it's just letting their creative mind, uh, providing as much freedom as possible actually works to any brand's advantage that the the creative is involved in. Um, just meaning that, you know, back in the day, maybe I would say less than 10 years ago, we constantly talked about like designer burnout. And that just had to do with designers that were at one brand churning out how many four to six to eight collections per year. Um, but that was on a set schedule. It was like 40, 60 looks each time around and, and they got burnt out. So like this loosey goosey kind of model that's happening where you're dropping at any time and yeah, you're working with multiple brands, um, at once, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe that's the, the thing. Maybe that's what's working for these guys. I mean, it's definitely a unique talent to be able to juggle this stuff and, and, and I don't know, strike where, when the creativity's hot, but, um, yeah, it's working. And it is a brand building thing too, because if you are an LVMH and you have a Virgil type person and they're doing this really cool stuff, that's not necessarily for your brand, but it's making that person, that creative, uh, you know, a household name, that's good for your brand too. So even though it's not technically making you money for, for your creative director to be doing some side project, um, you know, it does end up working for, you know, to your benefit in the long haul. Um, what, since we're on this topic, let's just fold in the, the third story, which is, uh, Ruigi Villasenor, who is the founder and designer at Rude, um, which is a streetwear brand that he created. Um, he was just named the creative director of Bally. Um, and I feel like that's a perfect example of what we're talking about. The classic like streetwear and luxury crossover of like grabbing some very talented young on the, on the cutting edge kind of person and putting them in charge of sort of an older traditional luxury brand and, and seeing what happens with that. So I feel like he's a perfect example. He's got his own brand and he's going to continue to run it. Um, he's going to be working with Bally and I'm sure he's going to continue to do all sorts of side projects and interesting things and collaborations, both in those capacities with, with his two brands now, and also just on a personal level. I mean, Bally needs him like nobody's business. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I feel like Bally definitely, they haven't lost their lux factor in terms of like being known for great, mostly I, I think of it as luxury goods and great shoes, um, great, anyway, leather goods. Um, but around since 1851, okay, it hasn't had a creative director in years since 2017. And so it's been relying on um, designers from other, I guess, from footwear, from accessories um, to kind of lead the charge um, and just and make a go of it. But yeah, really, I mean, it's owned right now by JAB or Jab Holding Company, which also, I mean, it seems very what they also own Panera and Krispy Kreme. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they need a cool factor here. This and is brand synergy. <laughs> they need to get these three brands together. <laughs> there may be a collab happening here, but um, the fact that you're bringing in this, I, I would call him a style icon in the streetwear world. There are profiles yeah. of him in high snobiety and in, in, in complex. He's he's a man to know. Uh, he has a great reputation, and yeah, he's he's inspirational. I would say. Um, anyway, this is a great deal for them. Yeah, definitely. And and I am actually talking to both him and um, Nicholas Girado, who's the CEO of. Valley sometime in the next week or two. Um, not sure exactly when. So if you're listening to this, go check glossy.co, see if the interview is up. It might be the week after, but I, I will be talking to them and I'm going to ask them about some of these things like, um, you know, what's the, 
what did Valley need that that he is giving them and you know all that all that good stuff. I will say that looking at their the the two brands, so his brand and, and Valley, I was like liking the shoes from Root a lot more personally. And and I think he was a good choice because there is lots of there's lots of areas of luxury fashion that can kind of seamlessly work in streetwear kind of stuff. Like it's fine. Like, you know, they're already making a hoodie or whatever. So like you can just do that. But, um, footwear is interesting because I think a lot of streetwear is very sneaker focused and with a few outliers, I think a lot of luxury brands, the sneakers that they make, like maybe make some money or are cool, but don't really compare in terms of just like hype with plain old like Nike or something. But Rude is interesting because they make a lot of like penny loafers and sort of dressy kind of leather shoes, not, and they make sneakers too, but they, he already has a little bit of experience with that kind of um, footwear too. Um, and I really like a lot of the designs, like I said. So uh, if he can seamlessly kind of work some of that streetwear, younger aesthetic into, you know, what they're already doing with their leather goods, I think that's going to be good for them. Yeah. And Bally wasn't shy, I guess, about why they brought him in. I mean, it's kind of buried into this big press release um, with a, a million other quotes. But this it says, I entrust Rui G, this is their CEO, um, a talented vision, blah, 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 to continue evolving the contemporary relevance of our brand. Hello, like get in good with, keep us relevant, keep us timely and accel- mm-hmm. ex- accelerate growth. Um, I mean, while preserving our values and all of that, but anyway, accelerate growth, tap <laughs> into the culture of the moment. Um, yeah, I was going to say it's, it's refreshing when you get a press release and they're just like, we did this cause we want to make more money because that's <laughs> what they all are doing it for. But it's just, you know, it's nice to hear it just stated plainly. Totally. And it'll be interesting. I, I, if some collaborations come of this, he, again, Ruigi's a big collaborator with everyone from car brands to Instant Pot. He did a, a home um, home goods type of a, a collab with Instant Pot, which is a little bit funny. But also, yeah, he, he is a fashion fan. Um, he's talked a lot about um, being a fan of, of, of Swiss fashion, of, of cars, of, um, I mean, he's not shy about like loving the finer things, um, which I've seen again in some of these profiles. And he showed his line at Paris most recently in LA and it's beloved by everyone. Like he's outfitted Kendrick Lamar and Jay-Z and um, these guys, um, French Montana and Chris Braun were at his latest show. So anyway, this is the audience that Bally could, could benefit from. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Thank you so much, Jill. It's always great talking to you and we'll be back next week.